Somebody just walked into the room. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for that warm reception. How many of you believe that the Lord Jesus is present here in the house? Yes, he is. He's sitting right there. 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 He's here. He's sitting over there. Praise the Lord. Well, I hope you come expecting, because I believe God has a word for us. And uh, the Lord Jesus is not present just to hang around. He's here to speak to us, move in us, minister to us, and really change our lives. And I don't know about you, but I come to church just looking for God to make a difference. You know, because when he makes a difference in your life, you want more. And every day is is a life-changing experience. It should be a life-changing experience. But it's something that we look forward to, something we expect. And so tonight, I believe that God is going to move. But first, I want him to move on this uh, laptop here that I have. Because it's not cooperating with me. I mean, my uh, tablet. See, I can't even say it right. But praise the Lord, here we are. And um, I really want you to be tuned in tonight to what the Spirit of God wants to say. Because I think he has a very important word tonight. So let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your presence. Father God, we're just so thankful, Lord God, that you're here to make some changes, to make some alterations, to make some renovations, Lord God, to, to do what needs to be done in our lives, to tweak our lives, Lord God. Whatever it is that's needed, Father, you're here to take care of that. And so, Father, we thank you that as you allow the Holy Ghost, Lord, to speak into our hearts, speak our language, Lord God, speak in, in, our, in our level of understanding. Let us know what you want to hear, what, what you want us to know and understand. Help us to, to know your will and, 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 and your direction for our lives, Father God. And Father, if there's healing that needs to be taken care of tonight, Lord, I pray that you take care of that tonight. Whether it's a physical healing, whether it's emotional healing, whether it's a mental healing, whatever healing that needs to be done, Lord, I thank you for taking care of that tonight. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, for making our ears ready to hear, speak what we need to hear, not what we want to hear tonight. And so, Father, we thank you, and we give you all the glory and the praise that you so deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let me start off by telling you the two most important things in life. And it's these. The first is I consider to be the most important thing in life and in the world. And that's knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you agree with that? The second most important thing in life is knowing the will of God for our lives. Amen. Several years ago, a national poll was taken across America asking the people this question. If you was to ask God one thing, what would it be? What would you ask him? And the number one response was this, why am I here? It's interesting because knowing that this is how many people feel throughout this country and even perhaps the world, saved or unsaved, there are people in this country, people in the world that are looking for answers as to why they exist. 
And this is the reason why it's so important to know what the will of God is for our lives. And so tonight and next Wednesday night, we're going to be talking on that subject. We're going to talk about why it's important to know God's will. Why is it important to be in God's will? Why is it important to do God's will? And is it possible to even know what God's will is for our lives? And then finally, how can we know the will of God for our lives? And so those are the things that we want to talk about for the next two Wednesday night. Uh, tonight I want to focus more on the importance of, no, of knowing and being in His will. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. This is a question that many people have asked, even Christians. Paul believed that knowing God's will was important enough to know that he would incorporate it in his prayer life. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, he says this, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So Paul's constant prayer for the church was this. Now it's interesting because Paul could have made many other different requests. Lord, I pray for the healing. Lord, I pray for prosperity. Lord, I pray for clear direction. But he asked that we be filled with the knowledge of his will. That tells me that Paul was prioritizing his prayer life. He could have prayed any other prayer, and I'm sure that he does pray other prayers, but this particular letter, in this particular instance, he prayed that we be filled with the knowledge of his will, which tells me that to Paul, that is considered important and is a priority in our prayer life, especially also when you're praying for somebody else. Go to... Matthew chapter 6, when he says to be filled with the will of God or the knowledge of the will of God, he's talking about to be permeated with the will of God. Nothing is to flow through us or out of us if it's not the will of God. So we are to be permeated with the will of God, filled with the will of God. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught his disciples the importance of incorporating God's will in his prayer. He says in verse 9, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now notice the next verse in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, what we see here is that Jesus, like Paul, prioritized God's will above our will. When we come to God in prayer, we must always put his will before our will. Instead of asking God for our daily bread, we must first seek God's will. Even in, in, the, in the same chapter, verse 33, where he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... In verse 10, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And in verse 33, says that <laughs> seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he says, all of these things, that is our daily bread, shall be added to you. 
But the point here is that God's will has to be always elevated above our will. So in our prayer life, when we seek God, we must seek his will first before we bombard him with all the things that we need. And it's not that we can't ask God for, for the things that we need because he tells us to do that. But let's prioritize our prayer life and let's put his will above our will. So even Jesus considered God's will to be more important in our prayer life before we talk about our needs. So we must put God's will first before anything else. So what does the term will of God mean? What, is, what does that mean? What does that entail? Well, there are several aspects in the Bible on the will of God. There's the sovereign will of God. There's the permissive will of God. There's the revealed will of God. And then there's the specific will of God. Now, the first two of those aspects, we're not going to get into. But I do want to focus on the revealed and the specific will of God. Probably next week. But when we talk about the will of God in general, we're talking about what God wants us to do. What God wants to do in us. What God wants to do for us. It involves his plan, his wishes, his desires, his pleasures, his agenda, his intentions as it pertains to our lives. Every one of us here appears on this earth because of his will. So we're not here to carry out our own wishes. We are here to carry out his wishes or his will. Do you agree with that? The safest place to be in the entire world is to be right in the center of God's will. I'm talking about smack dab in the middle of his will. I'm talking about the main street, the downtown center of God's will. Anytime we wander outside of his will, well, it's like taking a dangerous detour. Outside of God's will, outside of his main street, and in a direction that is unsafe, uncertain, unpredictable, Unstable and dangerous. Go to Jonah chapter 1. When we talk about God's will, it's almost like you can describe God's will as being a a safe boundary. When my kids were little, my wife and I would often take them to the park so they can play in the playground. But before we release them to the playground, we set boundaries for them. We would tell them, Don't go past this building. Don't go behind the building. Don't go beyond the swing set. And I don't want to see you over in the basketball court. I want you to stay within this general area where the playground is and keep, make sure that you're in our view. So we set boundaries for them. Now, let me ask you, do you think that we set boundaries for them so that they can enjoy themselves? No, we set boundaries for them because we want to protect them. And in the world that we live in today, with all the pedophiles and and sex traffickers and drug dealers and all the other things that that are out there to harm our children, we can never be too safe. Amen? Well, when God wants to set boundaries in our lives, it's not so that we can't enjoy our lives. It's because he wants to protect us. Because God understands the danger that lurks outside of his will. The uncertainties, the unpredictabilities that are outside of his will. And so God wants to protect us. So being in God's will is like being in the safe boundaries. But anytime we step out of that, 
then it can be very dangerous. Amen? Amen. In Jonah chapter 1, is a perfect example. Here, God reveals his will to Jonah. In, in verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, it's interesting because when God, the Bible says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, that word that came to Jonah was God's revealed will for his life. God called him to be a prophet to a heathen nation. And then God told him, this is what I want you to do. And God gave him divine authority to be able to go and carry out his will. But Jonah chose to do his will. And so therefore he left the safe boundaries of God's will and chose a direction that was unsafe and dangerous. And if you know the story of Jonah, well, you know how well that worked out for him. As a matter of fact, there was a, a saying that a pastor once said a, a long time ago, and I'll never forget this. He said this, whenever you run from God, you must pick up the tab. In other words, you've got to pay for what it costs when leaving the presence of God. Some of you work for companies that may send you often on business trips, right? Now, when they send you on a business trip, whose responsibility is it to pick up the tab? Is it yours or the company's? The company's. They're the ones responsible to pick up the tab. They're the ones who have to pay for your flight both ways, for your hotel, for your rental, car rental, and for your food and anything else that, that's necessary. They pick up the tab. Now, if you go on a trip, your own trip, or on vacation, the company is not responsible for picking up the tab. You are. It's your trip. Therefore, you pay. It's the same thing when we walk outside of God's will. We have to pick up the tab. It's interesting because in Jonah, in verse 3, it says that he, when he fled, he went to the city of Joppa, found a boat there, and paid his fare to go to Tarshish. And Tarshish was like several hundred miles opposite of the direction that God was telling him to go to. He not only paid the fare... But he almost paid more than what the fare was co- had cost because it almost cost his life. Because he chose to do his own will. He wandered off outside of God's will. But when you're in the center of God's will, when you're smack dab in the middle of his will, there is blessings. There is favor. There is protection. And there is provisions. Elijah, who was called to be a prophet, was given an assignment by God to go to King Ahab to tell King Ahab that God is going to stop the heavens and prevent it from raining for three and a half years. Now, the reason God did that was because King Ahab and all of God's people had left God and began to worship Baal. And it's interesting because Baal was a god of rain. And so God says, tell him I'm going to stop the rain. So it was God's form of judgment. And so Elijah went to King Ahab, which was a very dangerous thing, told Ahab what was up, and then he left. 
And God told Elijah this. He says, I want you to hide by the brook Cherith. Why did he tell Elijah to hide? Because he knew that he was in danger. So he told him to hide by the brook Cherith. And while you're there, he says, I want you to drink the water. And while you're there, I'm going to send ravens your way twice a day with bread and meat. So the, when it stopped raining for three and a half years, that opened the door for drought and famine. And it affected everybody except Elijah. Because you see, Elijah remained in God's will. And when you're in God's will, there is protection and there is provision. Elijah never had to worry about the drought. Elijah never had to worry about going hungry. He never had to worry about, you know, going dry with the water. Because God was there to provide for him. Because he was right in the center of God's will. Glory to God. That just gives me chills up and down my back. So it's important to be in the center of God's will. We don't want to go around picking up the tab when we don't have to. David Livingston, uh, an English uh, missionary back in the 19th century, understood the importance of, of being in the will of God. He made this statement. He said this. I'd rather be in the heart of Africa in the will of God than in the throne of England out of his will. Now, you know that if you're in the throne of England, there's power and authority. There's wealth and influence. There's privileges and prestige and all the wonderful things that come with royalty. But in the missions field, you're not going to find that. There's no comfort or conveniences in the missions field. There's no wealth or influence in the missions field. But this is what David was saying. Mr. Livingston, I should say. He said, if being in the will of God means working in some distant, lonely, mosquito-infested, hot and humid missions field, (laughs) glory to God, then you are still in the best and safest place that you could ever be. Because you're right in the center of God's will. And it doesn't matter where you are. If you're in his will, there is blessings. There is favor. There is protection. And there is provisions. Hallelujah. So being in the center of God's will is not only the safest place, but is the most important place to be. But you can't be in his will if you don't know his will. Amen. Go to Jeremiah chapter 1. Another reason why knowing God's will for your life is important is found right here. Jeremiah 1 and verse 5 says this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Here we see God revealing his will in Jeremiah's life. To be a prophet to the nation. He says, before I knew you, or when I, before, I, before I formed you, I knew you. That word knew, it's an interesting word because it means more than just an intellectual knowledge. It's, talking, it's used to convey an intimate and personal relationship. But here's the interesting thing. He had an intimate and personal relationship with someone he hasn't even yet formed. He entered into a relationship with someone that hasn't even been created. So when he knew Jeremiah, he 
fell in love with Jeremiah, had a relationship with Jeremiah, and then began to create him and form him. And not only did he do that, but he also established a will for his life. So the key here is this, that God has established his will for our lives before you and I were ever born. He entered into a relationship with you before he formed you. He says, I love what I'm about to make, and I'm going to love it with all of my heart. And then he already established whatever it is that he wants, wants you to do and what he planned for you to do and just began to shape it and form, and form it and, and bam, there you are. Man, that's, that is awesome. But God set him apart for a special use and ordained him or appointed him. That means that when you and I before we even was formed in our mother's womb, God had entered into a relationship with us. An intimate and personal relationship. Then he began to form us and shape us because he's already established his will. And then he, the Bible says he separated us or set us apart for special use. And then he appointed us or made a special appointment for us. So when we're born, when we came into this world, we came chosen already. We came already uh, separated and sanctified, and we already came appointed with a mission. Don't tell me that God doesn't have a will for your life. I won't believe it. So that is an awesome thing. So, I mean, listen. Go to Colossians chapter 1. I don't want to get ahead of myself. When you and I were born, listen to this. When you and I were born, it's verse 13, by the way, Colossians 1.13. There was a satanic plan for your life. Did you know that? When you came into this world, there was a satanic plan for your life. Just as there was God's plan for your life. But the moment you and I became born again... All of Satan's plan was canceled, and he lost all control. Why? Because we stepped into God's will. <laughs> so no weapon formed against us will prosper because we're in his will. So whatever plans that Satan had for your life, it's been canceled out. It's been, it's been ruined. It's been spoiled. As a matter of fact, second, uh, in second, uh, Colossians chapter 1, I want to read that to you in the Amplified uh, Version. Uh, in verse 13, it says this, The Father has delivered and drawn us to himself, listen to this, out of the control and the dominion of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of, his, of the Son of his love. In Colossians 2.15, you don't need to turn there, but it says, and having spoiled or disarmed principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly in being triumphant over them. God, I mean, the devil has nothing on you. And the fact that God had canceled out all of Satan's plans for your lives because his will, was in, his will for your life was more important to him then shouldn't his will for our lives be important to us? Think about that. Go to Psalm 139. We are talking about the importance of knowing and being in the will of God. Before you and I were born, God has already established his, life for our, for, uh, his will for our lives. But here's the thing. His will for our lives will never change. 
In other words, there is no plan B. There always was and always will be a plan A. Because he had already established it before you and I were formed. That's why many believers can wander off outside of the God's, God's will, make bad decisions, make a mess of their lives, and then try to find their way back. And God, as merciful as he is, opens the door and we come repenting and confessing our sins. But God doesn't say, well, you know what? Nick, you messed up. So now I got to go to plan B. No, what he does, he takes you, brings you back so that you can resume your plan A. Glory to God. See, God is like a GPS. A GPS is designed to get us to where we need to go. It even tells us when to make, make the next turn. But if you happen to miss that next turn, it always recalculates you back on track. And that's what God does with us. He gets us back on track and get us back in the center of his will so that we can resume plan A. So when he created you, he created you with plan A in mind. So don't ever get discouraged if you, have, if you happen to find yourself outside of the will of God and then come back and think that, okay, here I am, I messed up and God's not going to trust me anymore. Plan A has been waiting for you. He just needs you to get with the program. So you get started and get the plan going in your life. Amen. Look at what Psalm 139 verse 16 says. And I want to read this from the New Living Translation. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Listen to this. Every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. What the psalmist is saying here is this. That God has thought through every area of our lives in great detail. <laughs> that means you're not an afterthought. Hallelujah. God had all of our days written out before you and I were born. You are not a mistake waiting to happen. <laughs> Glory to God. But you are a success waiting to happen. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. God had marvelously planned out our lives in great detail. He said in his word that he, re he pre-recorded all the days of our lives before you and I were ever born. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. I want to read that to you in the amplified version. This is great. He says this, for we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined or planned beforehand for us. And listen to this, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time. There's that GPS, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. To live. Thank God. God has our lives all mapped out for us. God has established his will for our lives, having pre-planned and pre-arranged every detail of our lives. Jeremiah 29, 11, a very, very uh, popular verse and a well-known verse of scripture says, For I know the thoughts or plans that I have for you, says the Lord. He says, plans to prosper you and not to harm you and to give you a hope and a future. Every day of our lives has been recorded in his book. He says every moment of our lives has been laid out before a single day had passed. My, my, my. Rick Warren, most of you know who he is. He's the pastor of the Saddleback Church. 
And uh, he also wrote the book, The, the Purpose Driven Life. How many of you have read that book? It's a very, very popular book. He made this statement concerning the will of God. He said that we were, if you can put that up there, Kev. Planned for God's pleasure. We were formed for God's family. We were formed, created to become like Christ. We were shaped for serving God. And we were made for a mission. Let's do that again. Planned for God's pleasure. We are formed for God's family. We are created to become like Christ. We were shaped for serving God and we were made for a mission. I want you to look to your neighbor and say this. You were made for a mission. Now I want you to look at yourself and say, I was made for a mission. God, God went to great length to prearrange and pre- prepare our lives for us before our, for birth, before our birth for a mission. And this is all the reason why it's important to know the will of God for your life. Now, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> so we know how important it is to know and to be in the will of God. We know that there's safety in the will of God. We know outside of the will of God there's danger. We know that in the will of God is the safest place to be. But is it possible for us to even know the will of God? There are people out there who believe that or think that God somehow is reluctant to let us know what his will is for our lives because God has this strange pleasure of trying to keep it from us. And that's not even true at all. God wants you to know his will for his life, for your life. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17, it says this. Therefore, be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is for your life. Now, it's interesting because if Paul encourages us to be unwise, not to be unwise, but to understand what the will of the Lord is, it's because it's possible for us to know the will of God. It would be foolish for for, for Paul to pray that we be filled with the knowledge of God if he didn't believe that we can be filled with the knowledge of God. But according to Paul, it says here that he said not to be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. In other words, we are to make it a priority to know what his will is for our lives. So that means it's up to us to seek his will. We're the ones got to go look for it and he will reveal it to us. It's interesting because the word unwise in the Greek literally means to be mindless or stupid. I didn't say that. That's, that's the word is. It's stupid. So we have a choice. We either be stupid or understanding what the will of God is. What do you choose? Certainly not to be stupid. That's for sure. But because there's such a great emphasis on discovering the will of God, it's because God wants to reveal it to us. He wants us to discover exactly what he's created us for. Therefore, it's our responsibility to search it out, seek it out. Otherwise, we're going to end up making a decision that is unwise, unsafe, and dangerous. Go to Jeremiah chapter 29. Once you realize that you are the one responsible for discovering God's will, then the next thing, the next step is to seek it out. To start seeking God for it. 
because he's not hiding it from you. Jeremiah 29 in verse 12, look at what it says. Then you will call upon me, God says, and go and pray to me. Listen, I will listen to you. Verse 13 says, and you will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. Notice the emphasis on seeking with all your heart. As long as you can live without knowing God's will for your life, you will. But you'll be stupid. But when you seek him with all your heart, he says you will find him. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. That's a promise from God. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. If God has a will which he does. And if he wants us to know it, which he does, and if he's going to hold us responsible for knowing it, which he will, then you can be sure that God is not hiding it from us. In Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 7 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Verse 8, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Verse 9. Having made, to, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Verse 9 says, having made known to us. Who made known to us? God made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure. In other words, it was his good pleasure to reveal his will for us, especially when it comes to our redemption through the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness of our sins. That is something that God does not want to withhold from anybody, but something that God wants to reveal to all men. And so he revealed it to Paul, and Paul revealed it to the whole world because it's his will for us to know the mystery of his will. His will is not a mystery any longer because he wants to reveal it to us. Go to Acts chapter 22. Another example of God wanting to reveal his will to us. Now, in Acts 22, Paul had been preaching to a large group of people. And apparently, they didn't like what he said. And so they got really angry and it started a riot. And they all attacked Paul and began to beat him and actually wanted to kill him. But then the Roman soldiers came in to rescue him and was about to arrest him. And somehow Paul convinced the Roman soldiers to stop and wait until he finished what he had to say to the people. And so Paul began to tell them about his experience or his encounter with the Lord Jesus on the way to Damascus. And how he talked about how he saw this great big light which blinded him and knocked him off his feet. And how he heard the words of the Lord Jesus speaking to him and how Jesus instructed him to go to Damascus and wait there for him for further instructions. Then he began to talk about how God visited Ananias, who was a disciple in Damascus, and instructed uh, Ananias to go to Saul to speak and to reveal God's will for his life. And so we pick up here in verse 14, where he began to share what Ananias said to him that day. In verse 14 said, that God of our fathers has chosen you, Paul, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of of his mouth. God has made it possible to make known his will to us. He said God had chosen him so that he can reveal his will. Has God chosen you? Yes. 
then he will reveal his will to you as well. He wants us to know what he had already established way before you and I were formed. He's anxious to let us know what he wants us to know. Based on what he's called us to do. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7 and verse 7 says, Asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find, and knock it shall be opened unto you. In verse 9 he says this, Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread and give him a, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? And if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your father who is in heaven, give good things to those that ask him. How many of you want to know God's will for your life? Then ask him. Simply ask him. Now, go to Hosea chapter 4, and I just want to read the first part of verse 6. But I want to give you some reasons as to why so many believers find themselves outside of the will of God. Now, there are several reasons, of course, we don't have time to get into all of them, but there are certain things I did pick out. But one of the reasons that so many believers find themselves outside of the will of God is simply because they have no knowledge of God's will. Look at what Hosea says in chapter 4 and verse 6. For my people are what? Destroyed for a what? Lack of knowledge. Not having knowledge can lead us to a road of destruction and bondage. That word destroyed is an interesting word. <laughs> because it actually has two meanings. The first is to be dumb or silent or to be put to silent. Have you ever been involved in a conversation with a group of people? And you're talking, you're engaging in conversation. You're probably what, talking about sports or maybe gardening or maybe local politics. And you're engaging in conversation, and, and you're contributing to the conversation, and you're exchanging information, and, and you're adding your input, and you're going back and forth until the conversation changes. And now they're talking about, I don't know, the complexities of physics. They're still going together, going back and forth, engaging and, and, and contributing, and, and you're, stop, you're stuck there, just standing there, not knowing what to say. Why? Because you know nothing about physics. Never mind spelling the word complexities. But what happens is when you're engaged in a conversation and it's a subject that you know nothing about, all you can do is just stand there, shake your head and act like you know what they're talking about when you really don't, but you're held speechless. You've been put to silence. When the scripture says that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, you've been put to silence, which means you can't contribute. You can't add input to the kingdom. You've been made to be silent because you have no knowledge. It also means to, to perish or to fall or to be cut down or be cut off. But either of those definitions is still not a good place to be. So a lack of knowledge can cause a person to be outside of the will of God. Look what Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 13 says. And I just want to read the first part of verse 13. It says this. Therefore, 
My people have gone into captivity because why? They have no knowledge. So not only will you be put to silent or be cut off because of your lack of knowledge, but you can also be put in bondage for having no knowledge. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live life stupid, unwise, or mindless when it comes to the will of God. If he wants us to know it, I want to find it out. It is impossible to know God's will for your life, and it's impossible to carry out God's will if you don't even know what it is. If you don't know where to go or how to get there. But understand that it's Satan that wants us to live life confused, directionless, and ineffective in our lives. But God has laid out specific steps for our success. And part of that success is revealing his will for your life. Here's another reason why so many Christians find themselves out of the will of God. There are one of two reasons why Christians wrestle with God. One of them is they don't know God's will. So they're trying to seek it out. They're trying to find it. They're trying to wrestle in the spirit, trying to find out, Lord, what is your will? The other reason is you know his will, but trying to figure out whether you should do it or not. It reminds me of a story of an old Scottish woman back in the day who would go house to house along the countryside selling threads, buttons, and, and shoelaces to make a living. But every time she ran across an a unmarked crossroad, she would do something really strange. She would take a stick, throw it up in the air, and let it fall to the ground. And wherever that stick is pointing, that would be the direction she would go. So one day she was going house to house along the countryside, selling her goods, trying to make a living. Until she ran across another unmarked crossroad. So she did what she normally does. She takes a stick, throws it up in the air, and they'd fall to the ground. But what's even more stranger was that she continued doing this. She'd take the stick, throw it up in the air, let it fall to the ground. Then pick it back up, throw it up in the air, and let it fall down. Then pick it up, throw it up in the air, and let it fall to the ground. As she continued doing this, this passerby just happened to see her and walked over to her and says, why are you doing that? How come you keep throwing that stick up in the air like that? And she said this. Well, because every time I throw that stick in the air and it falls to the ground, it always points to the left. But I want to take the road to the right. <laughs> so she continued throwing the stick up in the air. Until finally, the stick landed and pointed in the direction that she wanted to go. Christians are like that. They know the will of God, but don't want to do it because it's not the direction they want to go. Just like Jonah. Jonah God pointed Jonah in one direction. Jonah says, I'm going in this direction. Because he didn't want to go in the direction that God pointed him out. And you wonder why your life is a mess. You wonder why you're in a rut. You wonder why you're not growing. You, you wonder why you're not moving forward. Could it be that possibly you missed out on God's will? 
Could it be that maybe God told you to go in a direction and you refused not to because you didn't want to, but you wanted to go in the opposite direction? Here's another reason why so many Christians find themselves out of the will of God. And you know, it's, you have Christians that purposely and willingly disobey God. But then there are those that don't, you know, it's not like they get up in the morning and purposely want to be out of the will of God. But it's the little compromises that they make through the course of the day. It's the little moves that we make that are not necessarily in the center of God's will, but it's along the edges of his will. I mean, you're still in the pavement of God's will, but not necessarily in the center of God's will. But one little compromise always leads to more little compromises. And before you know it, each day becomes a day of compromises, a series of compromises. Until one day you find yourself so drifted far away from God's will, out of his protection, out of his blessings, out of his provisions, and out of his favor. Because of those little compromises. Without the knowledge of his will, one wrong decision, one too many compromises can alter your life. It can even affect your life for the rest of your life. Over 30 years ago, I made a a decision that altered my life, a decision that really affected my life. Now, understand that I wasn't saved, so I was outside of God's will. I was outside of his protection. I was outside of his blessings, outside of his provisions. So I made one too many bad mistakes. But there's one decision, one particular decision that I made that affected me for a long time because I didn't know God's will for my life. Even after I got saved, I was still paying the consequences, picking up the tab for the decision I made. That's why it's so important to me to share this with you because I believe there's some of you here tonight that may have made a decision and you're picking up the tab for it. But the wonderful thing about God and his grace is that I no longer are dealing, in, or, or, or dealing with the consequences of my decision. God had miraculously delivered me from that after a period of time in such a powerful and mighty way that all I can say is God was the one who did it. But I'm very careful about the decision I make now, now that I am saved. Because I want to walk in God's path. I want him to order my steps, not order my own steps. That got me in too many trouble as it, as it was. And, you know, I'd, I'd rather just do that. And listen, and I want to talk a little bit about this next week before I close. Uh, but when we talk about the revealed will of God, we're talking about God's word. Everything that God needs you to know about the morality of life is in his word. Then there's the, the specific will of God, which is not necessarily found in the Bible. Like, who do I marry? Or what job do I take? Or should I put my kids in, in Christian school or should I homeschool? The Bible's not going to tell you who you should marry. 
The Bible's not going to tell you that you should marry Joe or that you should marry Sheila. But what the Bible does do, it provides you with guidelines and principles that help us to make the right choice. For instance, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, husbands love your wives. Ladies, if you're dating a, a Christian man, and he shows signs that he's not going to love you sacrificially like Jesus did, then maybe you ought to cancel your wedding plans. But it's a principle to go by. The scripture says over in 2 Corinthians, I believe 6 verse 14, says, be not unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Ladies, if you're dating an unbeliever, or, or gentlemen, if you're de- uh, dating an unbeliever, and I know Pastor John touched on this last week, the guidelines in the Bible tells us what not to do. So it may not tell you specifically who you should marry, but it does give you principles to help you make some good choices. And again, we're going to talk more about that next week. But it's important to know the will of God for your life. And it's very important to be in the will of God. Because being in the will of God is safe. There are blessings. God will not lead you wrong. He will not lead you astray. The Bible says he's prepared a life, a good life. And he's prepared a plan to prosper us. So why not stay in his will? Why not find out what his will is so that my life can be prosperous? So that my life can be good? We'll pick up next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and mercy. We thank you, Father God, for being so faithful to us and and revealing your will for our lives. Father, every one of us here wants to know your will, your specific will. Your, your, your sovereign will. Father, whatever will that you have out there for us, we want to know what it is because we want to walk in perfect harmony with you, Lord. And so, Father, I thank you for making that possible. And then I thank you, Father, that you're going to reveal your will to every individual in this room. You begin to show them, Father God. Begin to direct them, Father God, in the name of Jesus. And, Father, I thank you, Lord, for those who don't know you, Father God, cannot know your will. But Father, I pray that tonight that they'll come to know you in a personal way so that when they come to know you, Father, they'll also know your will for their lives. What you've created them to be. What they were born for. So Father, I thank you. I thank you for speaking to everyone here tonight. I believe, Father God, you had a word for everyone here, Father God. And Lord, I thank you for getting their attention. I thank you for speaking what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And Father, I thank you for keeping them in your perfect will. Keep them lined up, Father God, where you want them to be. And for this, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.